This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood films. This month, we are taking a look back at The Iron Giant to see if our nostalgia is warranted. First things first, right up the top, Sarah is feeling a bit under the weather today and will not be joining us, and so it's another boys' night! <laughs> uh, so, Mark, luckily this is your pick, so I don't have to wing a 60-second synopsis on my oh, own. you could try, though. Oh, that would be I a won't. great twist to this episode. <laughs> oh boy, I'm not going to do that uh, for several reasons. But why don't you go ahead? I can give you. Oh no, I got a timer right here. Good, good, good. Oh, good. You planned. I was about to say. Something. Wait, I can put a timer on my wrist, but then you can't see the timer, which is a real problem. I mean, if you hold your wrist up the whole time. Yeah, but even that's like upside down and faded out. Blah blah blah. Well, I'm. Fairly confident it will be less than 60 seconds anyway, because I just cut out the entire movie and made something up. <laughs> oh, okay. So big robot falls to space and then dies. Hey. The end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> All right. And here we go. In three, two, one, go. Shortly after the launch of Sputnik, a strange object is seen falling from the sky near a small coastal town in Maine. When a local fisher comes to shore claiming to have seen a monster, young Hogarth Hughes is amazed and when left home alone, heads into the woods to search. He discovers a large metal-eating robot and rescues it from electrocution, prompting the metal man to be his friend. Knowing the town will be afraid, Hogarth hides his new friend in a junkyard where there is plenty of metal to eat. When an FBI agent shows up, Hogarth does all he can to keep him from finding the truth, but eventually the giant is discovered. FBI agent Kent Mansley calls the military to come destroy the robot, despite Hogarth's claims that it is friendly. When a missile is fired on the robot's current location, it threatens to destroy the town, so the Iron Giant flies to space and sacrifices himself to save his new friends. Alright, got that done in roughly 45 seconds. Very nicely done. Uh, I think I'm still the worst at those. <laughs> so, congratulations. Well, like I said, I cut out some scenes... I feel like they are not that important. I mean, they they are. It's story building. Most of them story building, character building. It's not. I think at least you get the gist of the story from that. So I wouldn't say this is terribly in-depth narrative either. Uh, this is kind of your quintessential children's film. Uh, it's a very straightforward narrative. It's in and out in an hour and a half. So, like, you can cut those things out and we still get the gist of the story. Now, those things are pretty good in this film. Mm -hmm. uh, we can get into them. The first thing I wanted to point out is right in that opening scene, this is in the era of animation where they're still mixing, like, traditional 2D with 3D animation. Especially the, the waves of the hurricane or whatever, the storm that the Iron Giant falls into. These waves are all CGI generated, uh, and it's juxtaposed with the Iron Giant himself, which is traditional uh, 2D animation in some frames, and I think specifically in that one. As well as most of the other characters are 
usually the, the the traditional animation but yeah i really love this aesthetic like i don't think it's anything that we'll go back to now that like 3d animation has gotten as good as it is and like looks almost exactly like real life but i love this era in animation where only some things are cgi generated and mixed with 2d animation yeah and that was i guess when i picked this movie i was not even i couldn't even remember what year it had come out and so when i started watching it i was not expecting that because i thought it was all the traditional 2d animation which Mm -hmm. i mean growing up there were a lot of these you know that had like even several years before this in like beauty and the beast and some of those had computer animation in them already but you don't really when i was that age i wasn't paying attention to that so (laughs) so there's a lot of those things that i wouldn't have remembered anyway ah just it's so beautiful to look at in this film and i'm just in awe that that thing happened and now we're past it anyway (laughs) i will say and i don't know how you go about watching most of these films the the version of this that i found had an issue where the sound was not synced up with it which is not really the fault of the movie itself but that's the one big downfall i could find while watching this was it was hard to watch because i would hear things happening before they happened on the screen (laughs) but you know i know exactly what you mean uh because (laughs) i illegally download this film as i often do with the movies that we watch uh and the first copy i downloaded did have that sound error uh, but it was like a 720p. It's like, okay, I'll go for the bigger file, get the 1080, and see if that one's any better. So I download that one, and it had the same issue. And so I decided I'll deal with this the next night. So the next night I got them together, and my plan was I was going to start one movie without sound, and then start the oh, other geez. movie a little bit after, <laughs> so that the sound of the second one would sync up to the first one. And what I found when I went back and tried to watch it was... The first one I tried, the sound had miraculously fixed itself. <laughs> well, at least you got it with the correct sound. It, right. But even with that, I mean, as long as you were paying enough attention, you could kind of get over that after a while. Or at least I made myself get over it because <laughs> I had to. But this scene, so you talked about that opening scene. I, it is a fisherman, I think, or somebody somebody in a boat for some reason. I don't know why he's on a boat in a hurricane. Yeah. Because this is, this is clearly a hurricane. Because we see the Iron Giant fall to Earth um, in, like, the form of a meteorite. And he crashes into the eye of this hurricane, where there just happens to be a guy off the coast of Maine in a boat during a terrible storm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know what he was doing there, but I, he was on the radio, right? Trying to find his way back to shore so he could get out of this storm. And he says, oh, I see the lighthouse. And then it was the, the then, then all of a sudden you see that there are two separate lights instead of the one that you would normally uh, see from a lighthouse. And he gets all freaked out. Oh, no. The, uh, the cold open of the Iron Giant is great where you just you see him in profile you like you see one light and then he turns you see two lights and you just oh my god those are eyes that is wonderful later in the film that effect kind of disappears and i have kind of a little bit of problem with uh, how the iron giant progresses through this film but we will get to that (laughs) i did want to talk about right at the bat because 
Uh, so, like, you're talking about in the 60-second synopsis, Iron Giant falls to Earth, um, Hogarth is left home alone, and he goes out to investigate uh, who stole his satellite dish, because his TV is on the fritz. He follows a trail through the woods, gets to the power station, that's where he meets the Iron Giant. So, I'm curious as to what you think the Iron Giant's original mission was. Cause... And I have wondered about this, because... Now, he lands there. It never explains why he is there, but he did save the fisherman in the first place because the guy's boat did crashed he? into him. And that then he true. showed up in town later to tell people what had happened. We also see that fisherman wash up on the rocks near the actual lighthouse, though. So it's not fully explained that, like, the Iron Giant delivered him to shore since he's washed up via yeah, the ocean. That's true. So I don't, and that's what's, so yeah, I've always wondered why, like, if he was sent to Earth on purpose, or if he happened to crash there somehow, they, that was never yeah. really explained. All we know is he shows up and he starts eating metal things, and shows up at a power station. Because <laughs> there's, there's two things that show, like, he's not on his original mission, because he's got the giant dent in his head. That only fixes itself at the end of the film, even though the rest of the robot can repair itself yeah. magically. And I think he was still partially on his original mission when he went to the power station because he gets severely shocked there. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's usually, you know, movie shorthand for his memory got wiped out. Yep, especially for a robot. And that's, that is what I expected. I mean, not expected, but that's what I figured had happened was because he was just there trying to get a meal, I guess, and grabbed the wrong thing and electrocuted himself. And I give this film a lot of credit for not trying to ham fist a backstory for the Iron Giant, trying to explain how he came to Earth. I like that. But at the same time, I want to know what he was there for. I don't know if that would be a rewarding answer. I think it's better not to know and to leave it open to a discussion for an audience. Well, and that's true. Plus, I mean, throughout the rest of the movie, I never really think about it again. It wasn't until right. afterwards when I'm writing notes and thinking about things that I'm like, oh, well, what was he doing there in the first place? So I don't think it is that important to the actual story of the movie. Sometimes when you stop to think about it, maybe you want to know. Yeah, the, the other thing that occurred to me just because of my current profession and who I work for, after the Iron Giant crashed into one of the, the power lines we see, like, the entire town lose power, as would naturally happen, because he's creating a short circuit to the ground. There is no way the power station would still have power <laughs> that Hogarth would need to run in there and turn it off. That's not how our power grid works. But power stations do have a gigantic on-off switch, right? That turns oh, off the they, entire yes, thing. Yes, they have a comically large <laughs> on-off cartoon uh, switch that can completely shut off power instantly uh, and is hard enough to pull that a child needs to put his entire weight into it, <laughs> even though it is a safety measure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... And we skipped over um, a beginning scene where that Fisher or whoever he is comes into yeah, the town. Yeah. And Hogarth is in the diner where his mom works, um, who I actually didn't realize 
was voiced by Jennifer Aniston, apparently. I knew some of the voices sounded familiar, but I would not have placed that one, I guess. I did so. hear it, though I also, I think, in looking up the film, I saw some of the names that were in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wasn't necessarily looking for it, but it did sound familiar, and I was able to place put those things together. Well, and then he runs into that Dean guy, who, when he's first introduced, he looks like... A drifter motorcycle gang type of guy oh, with his leather jacket. <laughs> and that's not really who he turns out to be later on, but... Well, he is, um... I guess what it all ties into is he's a... Like, he's a bohemian artist, yeah, so to speak. And I, throughout the film, I kept describing him as, like, he's a cool substitute teacher. Like, the type of person who would walk into class, throw out the lesson plan... <laughs> And not let the kids do whatever they want it, but, like, just turn a chair around and rap with them. He's that type of guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what was interesting when he's first introduced to Hogarth. Uh, Hogarth is trying to find his pet squirrel that he caught and was trying to show his mom because mm-hmm. he wanted a pet so badly. And it had gotten out of the box and is running loose in the diner. And the funny thing to me on this is, they seem to not know each other at this point. Yeah. Even though they both live in this kind of smaller town. But as soon as the squirrel runs up his pants, <laughs> he still tries to hide it from everyone, or especially from Hogarth's mom, and tries to make up lies about, you know, oh, there's nothing wrong, but I think I found something. <laughs> like, and I don't... For a child that you don't know at all, and suddenly a squirrel runs up your pants, are you going to lie for them to their mother? Hmm. Questionable. <laughs> like, I mean, the kid did ask him to keep it a secret. And, like, he does seem like the type of guy that would go the extra mile for a child. I will say that as soon as he, as soon as the squirrel progresses <laughs> far enough, yes. um, he does apologize publicly to the restaurant and then unzips his fly and lets an animal loose that ruins everyone's meal. But at least he apologized first. So. That is true. Uh, yeah. Unlike some other child abuse that happens later in the film. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I guess this was, I guess, not foreshadowing to me, but one of Hogarth's main motivations is he's still trying to find a pet that his mom will approve of. And then he finds this robot that well is copying his moves and he can teach it to do things and it's it's kind of like it's his pet but also his child because it doesn't really it's not thinking well. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean it it does, but it, it I don't know if it passed into the the child part from me. Uh I did always see I mean him he did as mention like, it one time. Didn't he call it like it's like it's a baby because it doesn't well, so is a pet. I always saw the oh, Iron yeah. Giant as kind of his new dog. Yeah. Where, like, if a dog is trying to learn a new trick, he won't quite understand it. And, like, you need to take care of the dog and feed the dog. And especially, there's a scene early on where they meet in the woods at the power station and they chat. He teaches them some words and then Hogarth needs to go home. And the Iron Giant doesn't understand what stay means and keeps following him. I guess believing that this guy is his new master or something. <laughs> something. 
it, it's unclear what his what the Iron Giant's motivations were at that moment. Well, and he did have the big bump on his head. I was now, I guess I thought that the bump came from him being electrocuted, and I don't know what electrocution would have to do with that. I guess it could have huh. happened when he fell from space, and maybe he didn't even remember his mission even before he got electrocuted. But yeah, I guess I don't recall when the bump happened. I mean, it could have happened from the power station kind of exploding and pushing him back and him falling on like a big rock or something. But I would I would guess, given his in, imperviousness to like missiles and tank shots, that it was the <laughs> kinetic force of falling to Earth that you caused would the bump. You think so? After he. <laughs> <laughs> nothing can destroy him well and it was this is when he's trying to follow hogarth home and they cross over the train tracks that he tries to eat oh boy and of course as soon really as he like tries to eat them a train starts coming uh-huh oh i really liked this scene because it does kind of set up that one the iron giant can break like he's not impervious to uh falling apart given enough force and it does introduce his his healing factor. Right. But I liked that, like, he starts eating the train tracks and Hogarth stops him. And then he goes in with, like, his little, his giant hands <laughs> trying to repair the railroad things as if he's trying to piece together wires in a circuit. Uh, and he gets it just, he's tweaking it and he just gets just so perfectly yeah. correct just in time for the train to hit him in the face <laughs> and he was well and that's the thing like hogarth it's close enough just leave it alone and he's still down there like trying to get it exactly perfect i don't know if it was close enough because the pieces he was putting together like one train rail was about an inch off from the other train yeah. rail and that's gonna cause the train to derail now the other interesting thing about this to me the train derailing when it mm -hmm. smashes into the robot's face has no impact on the rest of the movie at all. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's just a trade. <laughs> like, like the FBI guy shows up, but he wasn't even there for the train. I don't think he was there because of disturbances and people talking about this. Right. He was already in the town and looking for strange occurrences, and then I train crash her happened he's like well that's strange enough i should investigate right. this but then they never worry about what happened to any of the people or the train and i uh, i assumed it was a cargo train the two drivers you meet and they seem fine after that i wasn't too concerned i don't think it was a passenger train <sighs> <laughs> there's multiple types of train mark all trains carry people that's just how it works I mean, there are drivers, so I guess you're correct. The other thing that I took a note on early in this film, and something that fell apart by the end, is I remember a movie reviewer saying once, the mark of a good child's film, or children's film rather, is that when you are a child, you empathize with the children. When you are an adult, you empathize with the adults in the film. And in the beginning of this movie, I certainly saw that. Because as a kid, I remember seeing myself as Hogarth wandering into the woods, meeting a new friend who's from another world. And that's very exciting. Uh, as an adult looking at it, I empathize <laughs> with the mother who comes home to an empty house and drives back to town in a panic looking for her son. Uh, I empathize with the bohemian Mr. Dean or... I don't... Dean might have been his first name. Dean, I can't I think remember. it's his first name. Yeah, I don't right. remember. Right. Who is like... 
he's trying to run his art shop in a junkyard and doesn't want a giant robot who eats metal to come and hang (laughs) out with him. And I even empathize with Kent Mansley, who is there to do a job. The FBI agent comes to a small town uh, and doesn't want to talk to these small town folk because their problems clearly aren't as important as the big city problems he's got to get back to. Now, it falls apart later in the film because Kent Mansley is such a wild character. He kind of loses touch with any sense of reality. And for a villain, that's it's really tough because... A great children's film would have the villain just acting like an adult, and sometimes adults are the enemies of children just because they have different wants and needs. This guy goes insane. Yeah, and that's... He starts off being like, I'm the big city straight-laced kind of guy, and I don't want to deal with the country bumpkins. And, (laughs) you know, he, he just seems like... He's got it all together, and I don't know if it's through not being able to find the robot and complete his objective that starts to drive him crazy, or if he just kind of starts being more wild throughout the movie just because. Maybe they were trying to make him a wacky, goofy character because it's a kid's movie and they wanted the kids to react to him. Right. But yeah, definitely when he first arrives, you think he's going to be that big city stereotypical guy and he kind of just changes completely by the end yeah the um i'm looking through my notes here and i want to talk about uh characters as we often do on this podcast and i really like the character design of hogarth who has this absurdly weird name (laughs) yep (laughs) But I like that he's a precocious little child, and I like that we learn a lot about him through, through like, small scenes he has with other characters. Like, when he's visiting Dean at the junkyard, we learn that he got moved up a grade because he was, he was doing so well, and his mom pushed him to try to rise to the level of his ability instead of just coasting through uh, his current grade. And so he got pushed up a grade, which explains why earlier in the film we see him getting teased by other kids in that grade, because he is the smallest and would appear a threat to them. The other thing is the Iron Giant and him have a conversation about the nature of souls Mm -hmm. and whether or not the Iron Giant has a soul. And uh, Hogarth has a really good explanation that he tries to give him. And they talk about death. And they never explicitly say it, but clearly Hogarth's father died at one point. It's why the the farm that he is living on needs money, which is why the mom is always working and they're trying to rent out a room. Uh, he's clearly thought about death in a way and has come out of his obvious depression that would happen after losing a parent and is now kind of processed it and has some of the big answers to give the Iron Giant about the nature of soul and dying and whatnot. And I like that this film does not ham-fist that. Like, there's a bad way to do it, and this film does it very well. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was trying not to interrupt. Uh, <laughs> no, and I... That is one of the first kind of impact scenes, I think, in the movie. Like, I mean, they're, they're, I mm-hmm. think the whole movie is good, but they bring about because they're again out in the forest and a deer runs across their path and 
I don't remember what the giant was trying to do, but but Hogarth tells him, "Oh no, be quiet, be gentle. Just it's it's uh, this wonderful creature." And so as they're standing there watching, they're just kind of staring at each other, and the deer is getting close enough that they might, you know. Then you hear it just kind of picks up its head and looks around and runs off, and you hear a gunshot. And so they go out and find it, and it's dead, and so the Iron Giant is trying to, like, well, fix it, bring it back to life, because he can regenerate himself. So right. this kind of foreshadow, foreshadow? Yeah. Imp- something that happens later in the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he tries to pick up the deer and get it to move around again, and it's all limp. And if a robot could cry, he probably would. But <laughs> he, was, he was very upset by this. I'm surprised they didn't do what a lot of films do and just call it an oil leak uh, and just have something coming out of his eye. Uh, but yeah, that was what started the whole death and soul conversation. The death conversation does come much later in the film. That's just before um, Hogarth gets interrogated by Mansley and Mansley is just uh, abusing his power as an FBI agent uh, to try to get information from a kid, um, <laughs> which is just it's wild what happens and we need to get to that at one point but we can keep going through characters we've talked a little bit about dean uh we talked about hogarth let's get to the big man himself the big uh, and you mean the giant you it, yeah the giant <laughs> no the the well, other big I mean, man we did, in this we, film we, we talked about who dean is i guess we we talked about how they met um, I guess I don't have a lot to say about the character yeah. of the giant because he didn't, I mean, again, he's just kind of like a dog. He, he is learning to get along with his new friend and, and trying to understand the language and all that. Um, and he does seem to understand that he needs to stay hidden. I don't know if he knows why, but... He does know that he has friends and which and, you know, that he should hide from everyone else, apparently. <laughs> so. Yeah, I guess my notes on him have to do more with um, discovering his abilities throughout the film, uh, which is a it's a good progression. And I'm glad this film never had a sequel because this is very much an origin story, in a sense, for the Iron Giant, where losing his memory at the beginning of the film, he doesn't know everything that he's capable of. And as a viewing audience, we also don't know that. And so we discover his abilities as he does throughout the film. And so, like, when he sees a gun for the first time, his eyes start glowing red, and he starts losing his sense of self, uh, and he kind of goes into war mode, and later in the film, we see that he, when he targets a gun, he gets laser eyes. Uh, and then when he's falling off a cliff, he discovers that he can fly uh, to the extent where when the U.S. Army attacks him, he apparently has this whole arsenal of weapons built into him. Like he could transform like he is a uh, robot in disguise <laughs> to the, go into war mode and release just so many advanced weapons that are just hidden on his body that he even wasn't aware of. Well, and some of those I feel like are a bit overkill because he already yes. has weapons that could destroy everything the humans have. And then he brings out more that are just ridiculous. And it's like, why do you need that? I like that this film didn't have a sequel because it would have to start at the point where he is completely overpowered. Having him overpowered at the very end, at the third act of this movie, feels right in that he has an army to defeat. 
Like, if he broke all of those things out the second that Hogarth pointed a toy gun at mm-hmm. him, uh, it feels like completely overpowered fight. It doesn't feel balanced. But when he's fighting the army, well, it feels kind of like, oh, okay, now he stands a chance. And the whole thing with, okay, so Hogarth pointing a gun at him, first of all, it was a toy gun that you didn't mention. <laughs> How how would he know? How would I the Iron know, Giant but know? For our audience. I know. For our audience, yes. Hogarth does not own an actual handgun. <laughs> I mean, he did have a If BB you were gun. worried about a kid finding a handgun <laughs> in this movie, you could rest assured it is a toy gun with lights and sounds and everything. Well, so I guess we talked about how Dean and Hogarth meet at the diner. The other thing is when Hogarth goes to hide uh, the giant in the junkyard, he discovers that Dean owns the junkyard as well, or owns it, or lives there, or both. Um, And he's also got his artwork strewn all over the place because he makes it out of junk. Yeah, I don't know what scrapyards do. I don't know why they exist or whether they're just... (laughs) home to metal that can't go anywhere else i'm a little out of touch with scrapyards but it did seem like yes dean is the owner and proprietor of this scrapyard he picks up pieces of scrap from around town which we see some parts in the film because the iron giant oh i forgot to mention when we're going through his character i love how the iron giant gets his snacks early in the film before he finds the junkyard because he is so much like a little kid because a little kid would do what he's doing which is take a little bite out of everything and never finish off any single thing and so there's just like these farm equipment or this silo or this car with little uh, well big bite marks (laughs) taken out of it like he was just sampling one thing and then putting it back, hoping that nobody else would notice. Until he finds Kent's car, he takes a bite, and then when Kent walks away, he takes the whole car. And that is such a good reveal, especially for Kent, who's investigating this thing, too. Because he goes back to his car in a huff, thinking, like, it's a power station, it blew up, things happen, electricity is weird. Uh, and he, he gets in the car, he shows the door, he's about to set his stuff down on the passenger seat, and he realizes the passenger seat isn't there, and the, the, <laughs> uh, the film backs out and half of his car is gone. Uh, and so he runs to go find someone, and by the time he gets back, the entire car is gone. Showing like, okay, now this FBI agent has a mystery to solve. And so I'm going back to the junkyard again because because <laughs> I had something kind of to point out there. But so that this is where Dean and Hogarth again kind of become friends and Hogarth talks the giant into Dean being their friend so that he's not scared of him. And then while they're hanging out there, they read comic books yeah. about Superman and <sighs> some other thing because that's yeah that, that's I why think there was destructo or something yeah well was that, some that was robot. why hogarth was pointing the gun at him because hogarth was the hero and they were playing you know a game where the iron giant was the bad guy and iron giant says no not destructo and he grabs a big sign and puts an s on his chest i am mm-hmm. superman <laughs> Uh, and that's the, that is the running theme throughout the film. I think Dean says it first where, um, he's talking to Hogarth and Hogarth is high on espresso, um, (laughs) thinking that he is cool and chill, but, uh, let's see if I can find the actual quote. There we are. It is, you are who you choose to be. And that's the, the running theme where 
even in the end of the film, the Iron Giant can choose to be the war machine that he was designed to be, or he can choose to be the person that he's become through his relationship with Hogarth. Well, and I'm sure you picked up on it as well, but all the it seems that there are parallels from this to Superman himself anyway, because it's someone sure. from space crashing into Earth and being taken care of by nice country people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he goes to live on a so, farm at one point. Yeah, certainly. so... And he's got laser eyes and can fly. Exactly. Sure. So there are many parallels there already, and then the, to have him reading the comic book just kind of added to that. I don't know if that was intended by the people making the film, but it sure fits, so... Yeah, I also like that it's historically accurate that Superman was around at this time, and they I think they show Superman in action comics, which is where Superman started. But yeah, Superman is a Depression-era superhero, been around since the late 1920s, and so he would be around in the 1950s for the, uh, the Sputnik scare that they're currently going through in this film. Yes. All right. While we are talking about characters, Uh-oh. I think we, I think it's time to get to the worst character in this film, Kent Mansley, FBI agent, who is, oh God, starts off real strong and disintegrates by the end of the film. You didn't like the, uh, what about the general guy? The general is fine. The general is like. He's not really a big part though, I guess. He but... is not a big part. He also plays like that big military guy where he's in charge of an army uh, he doesn't take any gruff. He wants proof before he engages an entire army to go to this small town. Um, so, like, the general seemed rather reasonable, given his position in the film, where Kent Mansley seemed the most out of place in this film because he his character just, like, goes off the rails. Yeah. Well, we already talked about how he gets introduced kind of as the big city guy, and this is beneath him. He doesn't really want to be here. He doesn't believe in this monster story or whatever. And then while he was investigating the space, uh, space, (laughs) the power station, (laughs) um, he finds the BB gun that has been broken. And so it has Hogarth's name on it, but it says Hog Hug, I think. Uh Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now... Do you think that's the only reason they named this kid Hogarth is so they could have Hog Hug show I, up later I in the film? I don't know. I don't know who, who would come up with that name otherwise. But who would? Yeah, like Hogarth is a wild name. Well, and doesn't Kent even say that at one point? Who would name their kid Hogarth? And that's when he all of a sudden says, oh, "That's the name on the gun." <gasps> Hog Hug. <laughs> But yeah, so he finds the BB gun out there, and at some point he also finds Hogarth's camera, but I think that's later. That's, that is later in the film, yeah. But this is, while he's investigating things, he's looking for a phone to call someone, his superiors or whoever, and the people who, I think it was the train engineers, point him down to this farmhouse, which happens to be where Hogarth lives. Yeah, um, that's certainly correct. This also comes along near one of my favorite uh, scenes in this film where after the train accident the iron giant is putting himself back together um mm-hmm. and part of what happened to him is one of his hands fell off 
Uh, and so there's a great scene where the hand disjointed from the robot itself is crawling through the home like it's a dog. Um, and like it's stopping in the kitchen to see what's going on in the stove. Uh, it goes into the living room and like Hogarth has to get rid of this thing so his mom doesn't see it at the same time that Kent Mansley shows up wanting to use the phone. And so there's, it's a great scene where Hogarth needs to hide something. There's multiple people in the house that he needs to hide it from for various different reasons. Uh, it's just, it's a really good mechanic, uh, a scene telling device right here. And I don't, was the hand trying to explore the house at this, or was it just running into things as it was trying to get back to the giant to help him repair himself? Hmm. It stops and it nearly, um. I think it almost knocked the stuff off the stove at one point. It almost knocked stuff off the stove and one of the fingers raises up and like goes near a pot mm -hmm. at one point. So I don't know if it was just like investigating the heat source or just looking for metal and the pot was metal. But yeah, it did seem like it was looking for food for the Iron Giant, which I think after Kent Mansley leaves, uh, Hogarth goes with the Iron Giant to find him, like, a rundown car. Yeah, and well, and that's when they think about going to the scrapyard, so... Right, exactly. Oh, right. So, <laughs> when they do find the rundown car and he tries to eat it and the, the alarm... Go or the, I don't know if it was an alarm, but the horn starts honking and won't stop, so he sits on the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I guess I don't remember if this was a big point in the movie about them having a room for rent in their house. I don't even remember that being a thing until she says, guess what, Hogarth, I found someone to rent that room. And I don't remember e even hearing about it earlier, but okay, it may have come up. But I, I will tell you for certain, the mom definitely mentions it to Hogarth. It has to do with her working late. She's trying to make ends meet. I think she mentions it to Hogarth in the diner. Uh, one of the reasons he can't have a pet is that they need to rent the room out, and that could be a problem for some of the residents. Plus, when Kent Mansley is leaving, there is a sign in the window that says room for rent. Yeah. So when Kent shows up to use the phone... It was one. It, of course, one of those things that happens in a lot of kids' movies where you open the door and the the adult is there. Oh, hi there! I'm so and so from the FBI. Uh -huh. Can, is your mother around? Can I use a phone? And then you just slam the door in his face without of responding course. at all, which is not suspicious. No. Not the slightest. And then, I, I don't know, they open the door again, and then they finally let him in. But Right. Um, and Kent Mansley is hilariously bad with children, uh, to the point where he's like, Hiya, sport! Here's my hat! You can pretend to be an FBI agent! Won't that be fun? <laughs> it's just, oh, I hate this guy. Um, so this is... He called, this is, he calls the general at home, who is sleeping... And I don't. The general was watching a movie. Was he? Oh, he was. He wasn't he sleeping at one of the times when they call him, or am I making this up? I think you're making this up. Well, this is how well I sleeping. remember this scene. So <laughs> it was dark in the house. That's all I have to remember. Right. That is true. Uh, but he called the general, and the general didn't want to talk to him. Really, was the point I was trying to make before I screwed it all up. Apparently, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, you do get the sense. Of a little bit of character design uh, that's not completely pronounced for Kent Mansley, where I don't know why an FBI agent has the direct number of an army general, 
That seems a little wild to me. But the general definitely doesn't uh, respect Kent Mansley in that, like, whatever Mansley is saying, like, the general's like, I need explicit proof before I'm going to do anything for you. I can't take it on your word. Um, and you get the sense that Kent Mansley was given this job because uh, he's uh, not very respected at the agency. Like, they don't send the top agent to a small town in Maine to investigate a power station. They send someone really low on the totem pole. And you get the sense that Kent Mansley is trying to advance in his career by doing a really great yeah, job here. he's one of those that is very... He's trying to prove himself, so he very gung-ho about everything he does mm-hmm. and has to has to get the result that he wants regardless of how he gets there. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if it's ethically sound for an FBI agent to move into the home of somebody he's investigating. That seems a little wild to me. Uh, but it's after he moves into Hogarth's home that he really starts doing questionable investigation techniques Wait, where like this is he, he just constantly follows the kid around all day yeah he's just constantly in the way of the kid every second of the day when the kid's at home like when the kid goes to leave he's behind the door it's just like hey a sport where are you going what you doing hey a kid and i i guess when he does he tries uh hogarth tries to leave and his mom is the one that suggests that he takes along kent to for a tour of the town so i guess it he wasn't technically following him at that point because the mom told him to take him along yeah but he was probably gonna go anyway the mom clearly doesn't understand hogarth's reticence to be around this stranger man who just moved in but yeah you're right like uh kent mansley is his escort throughout the town for a little while and hogarth only manages to get rid of him by feeding him (laughs) x-lax which was kind of one of the better parts of his (laughs) of of kent being in the movie (laughs) Uh uh-huh i don't remember exactly when it was but just one of the scenes in that little montage was one of the times that i was actually laughing at him in the movie but just just the way they're in the middle of a conversation and then in the diner he's like yelling at this kid and everyone notices they're looking at him and seeing what's going on and then you just hear and his eyes get really big and it's like oh (laughs) yeah he's yelling at children out in public he has just followed this kid around all day like i don't know if an fbi agent is allowed to pursue an investigation into a minor this way if that makes sense Like, children have a certain right of protection, which maybe they didn't have in 1957. Uh, But yeah, his investigation techniques are really questionable, and they only get worse. Uh, Yes. (laughs) But thanks to the X-Lax chocolate that Hogarth gives him on his ice cream, um, he runs to the bathroom, and Hogarth runs off to the scrapyard to warn Dean that this creepy guy is looking for them. Right. Um, and this is the point, I think, where they're playing with the gun and you see the laser eyes and then suddenly mm-hmm. Dean realizes that this robot could be a lot more dangerous than he thought. So he starts yelling at the giant to go away and Hogarth, of course, has no idea what happened. So, uh, because he drops the gun and has to go look for it when the laser eyes go off. I think chronologically that happens a little bit later, Not but... Really? 
Yeah, because um, I've got in my notes here, which are chronological for the film. Uh, so when Kent investigating, he's going to see like pieces of metal that have been bitten. He goes out into the woods. This is where he finds Hogarth's camera. Oh, yeah. Um, so yes, Hogarth does go to the scrapyard. This is the point in the film where they have the conversation about death and souls and whether the Iron Giant is living and the nature of souls in good things. And then the kid goes home, which is where Kent's <laughs> investigation techniques get worse because Kent is waiting for him when he gets home because the kid is dropping off his bike oh. in the barn and Kent is there does the waiting gun, the in gun the dark. Part happens after all of that? It does. It happens mm. after, it's, uh, after, after the yeah, army yeah, initially yeah, yeah, investigates. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so Kent's waiting there in the dark locks the barn door behind him, turns on a light, and sits Hogarth down for a little interrogation uh, without his guardian present, which is wild. <laughs> and Kent is uh, interrogating this child about what he saw, and he shows Hogarth the picture that he developed with the robot in it. Uh, it's like, where is this robot, Hogarth? And he's like, well, I don't know. I've never seen this robot before <laughs> in my life. And Kent threatens Hogarth saying, well, your mom called earlier. She's going to be working late into the night. And so we have all the time in the world. And I think I could put in a call to child services and maybe explain to them that your mom working all the time isn't the greatest home for you to be in. And maybe <laughs> could you be placed in the foster system if that's something you want. And so Hogarth finally relents as it's like, okay, the giant is in the junkyard. And Mansley even slaps himself in the head and is like, oh, right, that makes total sense for a robot that eats metal. I probably could have used, you know, deductive reasoning <laughs> or any sort of investigation techniques to put those two things together Other than myself. Other around a child for three days. Right, exactly. And then Kent chloroforms this child, <laughs> knocks him out, and puts him to sleep. Then Hogarth wakes up, um, and this is where Kent is on the phone with the general getting the army in force to come investigate. And Hogarth tried to escape, but Kent has nailed his window shut. And Kent decides, I'm going to stay up all night across the across the hallway, looking into your room and watching a child as he tries to sleep. <laughs> Which, ooh, boy, that's really not okay. But the, then Hogarth, of course, wasn't going to sleep anyway, so they just sit there staring at each other. Mm-hmm. They stare each other down. At some point in the night, Hogarth nods off, and then Mansley nods off. And then when Mansley wakes up, Hogarth has apparently been up for a while, even though it he has his helmet in place in the bed in case in case Mansley woke up, he could see something was in the yeah. bed. His kid's probably sleeping. But comes another great part in the film where Mansley has the army uh, who has come to investigate this Iron Giant, and... They take both Hogarth and the mom along with them to investigate this junkyard, which is not how armies do, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, well, and then what? So you see all uh, they run talk to Dean and he's like, oh, yeah, you're coming to see that, huh? Like he acts like he was expecting them all along and he's going through his artwork and on his way to show them what's in the big shed and opens it up, and there's the Iron Giant, but he's got all kinds of other random junk stuck on him, and Dean's telling them this story about how it's his big masterpiece artwork, and 
he was hoping somebody would come along to buy it and all this. And, oh, the kid must have seen it and thought it was real. Uh, which is, it is a wonderful lie. Um, which it does rely on the kid knowing a guy who is a scrap metal artist, mm -hmm. which is not a usual profession, but a very useful one that he happened to know uh, and we established earlier in the film. But I love Dean in this moment because he is a great liar. Like, he gives a whole speech about how he sold the robot already, and, like, the um, the people have been bugging him to ship it out, and he's like, well, hey, you're gonna have this in your uh, entranceway for years, I just made the thing, I just gave birth I to it. I just can't part with it yet. Yeah, can't you wait a little bit for me to cut the umbilical cord? And he opens up his big shed, and there's the Iron Giant with a bunch of junk on it, which is so satisfying to see Mansley's face fall uh, <laughs> and the general to chew him out and order him to get back to DC or whatever. Like that is so satisfying giving the really questionable techniques Mansley <laughs> has used up until this point. The other thing that gets established here that I really like is uh, Hogarth's mom is a big part of the film in that she's in a lot of scenes uh, and she sets up a lot of things for Hogarth, but she's not given a lot to do. In this scene, it kind of establishes that she's she really likes the artwork here, and it starts the relationship between her and Dean. And in fact, she has a really great moment where she says to Dean, I can see why Hogarth sneaks out here all the time. Dean replies, oh boy, you, you know about that, huh? And then she replies, well, I do now. <laughs> it, suggesting that like, She's clever enough to figure out and fool this adult to see what her child has been up to. And she's not given a lot to do in the film, but she has a, this nice little moment here. Right. And like you said, I mean, it gives a start to their relationship, even though she mm -hmm. kind of already met him at the diner and should know him. Sure, but like, it's the difference between knowing someone as a customer and as a human being. Right, and she can compliment him on his art to kind of make him go, oh, you like that, huh? And maybe that gets him more interested in her, too. So it it kind of gives you that, oh, well, now we see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this, after the army comes and sees... The Iron right. Giant as a piece of art. This is where Hogarth is playing with him. The Iron Giant sees a gun and shoots his laser eyes off, which I don't know why Hogarth didn't just wait a day for the army to leave completely, mm -hmm. get completely out of the, like, get into the clear and then play with his robot friend. <laughs> like, they do this as the army is driving away that day. Uh, so much so that, like, the army is still in range of the town to see the Iron Giant later in the film. And I, well, th so that explains, again, how the army found him, I guess, because we're getting right. to that point, is when Dean sees the laser eyes, he's trying to protect Hogarth and yells at the giant, makes him go away. And Hogarth, who realizes, oh, he was just protecting himself because I was trying to shoot at him. And and so he starts trying to chase after him. So the giant runs off uh, all sad that his friends are, are mad at him. Um, and this is the point he ends up in the town where he's been avoiding for so long, trying to hide from people. And there are two boys who fall off of something... 
Yes, so they <laughs> are they are using binoculars to watch the army leave. Uh, yeah, they yeah, turn yeah. and they see the Iron Giant approaching the town, and they start getting interested. They start pointing off into the distance, get too close to the uh, the railing on this rooftop or balcony they're on, and it falls apart. Because yeah, they were just they're just on a building, I think, which is. Because uh, kids go on the roofs of buildings with binoculars all the time. I mean, the railing was there. It's just a very unsafe railing. So, but anyway, they fall off of the building and all the adults underneath are like, oh no, the kids are falling. And then the giant saves them and puts them down in front of their parents. And I don't know how he knows which ones are their parents, but... Yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> he puts them down right in front of their parents and then all the people look up at him. Oh, and he suddenly realizes, uh-oh, people saw me. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, this is, uh, it, I got the sense that if the army wasn't there and they didn't turn around and start shooting at this thing, the town would have seen the Iron Giant as a hero. Right. Like he just saved two kids. He's clearly friendly to the town. They would see his usefulness as opposed to seeing him as a threat in this moment. Right, and I think at the beginning, Hogarth was trying to hide him because he says, well, you're a really nice robot, but they won't understand that, and right. they will be scared of you and, and all that. So he was very insightful for a young child, <laughs> and I think that's probably true, but when the first introduction you have to this big robot is is that it's saving children who are falling to their death, that I think everybody will suddenly not be like, oh, well, you're a good robot. We're all going to like you now. And I think, yeah, like what you said, if the army hadn't seen it and turned around to come back, he would have been fine living there and everybody would have loved him. Right. And like, the, I guess the army's whole objective is in like 1957. Uh, they're worried about the Russians starting a nuclear war. Uh, and so they see this thing that they don't know where it came from. They don't know its military capabilities, but they need to destroy it because it could have come from anywhere, including Russia. Um, and so they go to the town and just like they immediately start shooting it. Like there's no attempt to talk to this thing. Uh, there's no attempt of any peace negotiations. No, I... I, I was getting out of order again, so I was about to say something, and then I realized I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, so this is the point where, um, so they shoot tanks at it, they shoot bullets at it, and nothing is getting through this thing's skin. He seems completely impervious to all the weapons they have, and so they call in an airstrike with jets. Uh, and so I think Hogarth is with the Iron Giant or something because the Iron so, Giant has yeah Hogarth yeah up that's in what I was about to talk about but I I thought I was out of order again so so when it runs away he tries to chase after it Dean realizes oh it was just protecting itself it really d is okay to be around Hogarth so he takes off after him in in the on a motorcycle yes and says oh you'll never catch him on foot and so they ride up there together. And when they get to town, they see the army is shooting at it, I think. And they're like, oh, you have to be nice. He's really a friendly robot. And so Hogarth runs out, runes out to it. <laughs> uh, In, right. and, then, and then the giant picks him up and yeah, starts running uh, away. I don't remember why, but the giant must have picked him up to avoid the gunfire I think. or something. And, that's what, and then, of course, the mom and Dean are all yelling at them. Hey, don't shoot. There's a kid in, in his hand. Uh-huh. And... 
Of course, Mr. Kent. <laughs> oh, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. And then he goes and tells the army, the robot just killed a kid. We need to destroy that thing. <laughs> of course, because his career will progress after killing this massive robot. Yes. For reasons. Uh, but this is where the Iron Giant um, is running, looking behind him, doesn't realize he runs off a cliff and then discovers, oh, I have jet boots. I can fly, apparently. <laughs> um and so he's fighting some fighter jets, uh, flying through the air, but he refuses to use his laser eyes, which was a weird choice, because Superman has laser eyes. Well, and that's, I think, the the point that was made earlier was when the deer died, it was because it mm -hmm. got shot, and he realized guns kill, and he doesn't want to be a gun. And so here, when things are shooting at him, he was... Again, going back to the, you can choose who you want to be, and he says, well, I am not a gun, and so he didn't want to shoot and kill anyone. I guess, does Superman kill people with laser eyes? No, Superman doesn't kill people. <laughs> it's very easy for Superman to kill people. He also has a level of morality that he can only maintain because he's immortal and impervious to bullets. Superman's a weird character. Anyway, <laughs> um... <laughs> And so now this you all is... know Carl's feelings about Superman. <laughs> Superman is a fine character, but he was the first superhero. So, like, through his progression since the 1920s, they just kept adding powers to him. They didn't understand that you need to balance characters with some difficulties. Superman solves every problem by trying harder. Anywho. <laughs> um, I've heard this so, whole speech probably more than once before, so... Yeah, yeah. Superman is a boring character because nothing is hard for him. Anywho. Uh, so this is the point where I think uh, Mansley and the General are able to hit the Iron Giant with some sort of tank shot or something and hit a booster. Or he runs out of gas in his boots because he doesn't know how long he has. For whatever reason, the Iron Giant falls from the sky. Uh, and this is where Hogarth would clearly die. Like, spoiler alert, he's not dead, but in all actuality, he should have died here. And I, I Because all he had to comfort his fall <laughs> was giant metal impervious hands that would rally him around. Yeah, and I think the giant was trying to protect him, like he purposely held him to his chest and rolled onto right. his back so that he wouldn't get smashed into the ground. But you but... know it's not cushioning? Iron. Yeah. And this is the point, again, going back to the deer again, is he he's crawling around looking for Hogarth and finds him there not moving and tries to pick him up and he's all limp and falls back to the ground. And he's like, he's thinking, oh, no, he's dead. What do I do, my friend? Uh. Yeah. And this is where he decides, you know what? Maybe it's OK to be a gun. Yeah. The army shows up again and now he is uh, Hulk mode and <laughs> like... Now I am angry. And this is the point where his dent in his head repairs itself, because apparently he just needed to get angry enough for that to happen. And he remembers all of his defensive capabilities. This is where, like, his head goes into his chest and gets a protective bubble around it. Uh, his chest opens up because he can shoot stuff out of there. He gets, like, uh, an arm cannon that kind of springs out of his forearm. Uh, and, like... These weapons are really and cool. And a bunch of lasers that I think come out of his back too, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. He head. gets like these little scorpion tail three laser things that can I was shoot thinking stuff. like Doctor Octopus arms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of the stuff is really cool. 
Uh, and it's great that it only shows up in the third act, uh, and that we only got a little bit of foreshadowing, because a lot of this is awesome. Because uh, we see him shoot some of these guns, some like this, there's green bubble that he shoots on a tank, and the tank kind of goes anti-gravity and then slowly disintegrates. He had like a, not a Gatling, but it had like, like the disc... And then it, as right. it spins around, oh. there was some arms tapping it that shot lasers. I don't know really how that thing worked, but... Yeah, because he shot out... He had, like, these stack of... Uh, I want to say hockey puck, but think giant, because he's an iron giant. <laughs> uh, and then, like, he shoots each one out individually, which spins and shoots lasers and whatnot. Uh, but a very satisfying war scene here at the end. And, of course, there's a big musical swell there, too, so you get, oh, it's exciting, something's gonna blow up. So this is where Mansley talks to the general, and it's just like, this thing is super destructive, we have to go with our greatest weapon, we have to get the bomb. Well, he also said because nothing else was hurting it. Right, exactly. By that point, they had ships that had shown up that were offshore firing at it, and they distracted him from the army enough that he turned around to go after them. And this that's when Kent says, we need the bomb. And the Iron Giant is about to destroy the ship that has the nuclear capabilities when Hogarth, who has been revived, awakened by Dean and his mom and nearly, well, They tried to drive him to a hospital. Turns out the hospital is in the town that is being evacuated because there's about to be a nuclear strike. Now, why they didn't evacuate the town before this naval ship just started lobbing cannonballs (laughs) or whatever into it is beyond me. Uh, Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it just happened so quickly they didn't have time. Maybe. And so, like, the parents and the kid run up because they they're trying to get the kid to the hospital and the army stops dean and like ask him what's going on why do you need to get in here the town's being evacuated not paying attention to hogarth who's able to break the army line and just run directly to the giant robot on a killing spree and hogarth is able to talk to him even when the robot points a gun at him point blank Mm. a gun whose barrel is bigger than hogarth's entire body and Hogarth is able to talk to him. He's like, no, it's me. I'm your friend. You don't have to be this. Uh, and it's a very touching moment where the robot, like, blinks his eyes. They come out of war mode. And he just, like, he goes back to the self that he wanted to be. Which I think is just, like... Which is the robot puppy it's, dog. It's a very satisfying moment. Yes. And the general's about to call everything off. Yes. The general, well, at this point, Hogarth starts walking, I think, walking back to them with the giant so that they can prove to the army that he is a good guy. And he's telling them, don't fire. He's good. He'll just let him prove it. The general pieces together that the kid that Mansley said was dead is now in front of him alive with the robot. And just like, oh, Mansley, you lied to get more firepower on this indestructible robot that could destroy us all? Could you Could you not? So yeah, as he's calling it out, what does he, he, he calls to the ship, and, he's a, and, and before he can finish his sentence, Kent grabs the, the radio out of his hand and yells, launch the bomb, or something. And the general is quick to point out, you just sent a nuclear <laughs> missile to the robot's current position. Where's the robot, Mansley? Where's the robot? Ah, 
the robot is 10 feet away from and, Mansley. And then, point. of course, of course, Mansley, oh, well, we could run away. There's no time uh, for that. Yeah, or we could duck and cover, yeah. which is what that uh, an instructional video told us was the only way to survive a nuclear bomb earlier in the film. Which, I mean, is probably, I mean, that's what they taught people to get under the desk. It but. is. It is. You go into the hallway, you duck and cover, you put your head between your legs, and you kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> So this is another point then where the all, the whole town is like, oh, well, what do we do now? We we can't get, there's no time to get away. It's coming straight at there's us. There's no time to get away. They could get into a shelter, but they all know that wouldn't help. And like the town just has a very quiet moment where they all accept we're about to die. Oh, right. And this is, then Kent tried to jump in a car to drive away and the general has his people arrest him and says, you're going to stay here and die like the American citizen you are or something like that. Uh, so better than that, Kent Mansley gets in a car and is about to drive away and he crashes into the Iron Giant's hand, which goes directly in front of him. And then the general puts men on him. It's just like, make sure he dies like a good little soldier. This is what he wanted. He can serve, he can be here with the rest of us. Uh, but we get the Iron Giant's final moments where he puts, yeah, he puts Hogarth <laughs> down on the ground and he has kind of a reversal of what we saw earlier in the film, which is like, I go, you stay. And he, you know, has a, if robots could cry, he would be crying as he blasts off into space, which is apparently where the nuclear missile needs to go, even though it's not it's traveling. It's like two miles offshore. It needs to go all the yeah. way to space before it comes back. Wild down. that the thing shot straight up into space and then has to turn around and come back to town. But lucky for the town, uh, because the Iron Giant meets the bomb in space and we see a giant explosion in the sky. It's as if a new star is born. Yeah, and then we just progress to a, like a few months later or something. Yeah, and I, well, was it? I guess just months. I don't remember how long yeah. it was, but oh, then then sorry. By before th before we get too far mm -hmm. away from it, there is a line here that I often misquote. Where the it's I guess not misquote, but I get the cadence wrong. When the robot is flying up to meet the missile, his his final words. I always quote as Superman and the cadence is wrong because he just, he doesn't emphasize super. He's just Superman, a nice distinct thing. Final words. It is what he truly wished to be in this world. And then he and meets, he smiles a, a and missile. closes his eyes and flies straight towards it. Oh, beautiful. Anyway, now we are a few months later. Go ahead. <laughs> well, and then the first thing you see, like, I think it goes black maybe and the, when it fades back in you see a statue of the iron giant i think this one is made of stone instead of iron but i don't know dean made it i was it gonna say the iron. implication is that dean made it and he makes all his stuff out of scrap metal i guess so but they're all walking around town and dean is apparently in a relationship with the mom now of course and um I, somehow who who is it that runs up is it dean that that comes with the with the package or was it some i think guy? uh i think dean's in the park with hogarth uh and the mom brings the package because it was mailed to the house it is a package for hogarth from the general from the general and says so oh, this is the only piece we could find but we wanted you to have it 
and it's a little screw, little little screw that's the size of Hogarth's head, and <laughs> um, and it's a screw we that had we saw earlier, similar to that earlier that screwed his the, jaw. I think on. the implication is it is the same one that fits into his jaw. So he brings that home and is excited to have a piece of the giant that he gets to keep forever. But later that night, it starts beeping and is trying to get out the window again, just the same way as earlier in the movie when the robot was repairing itself and all the parts just magically found their way back to him. And so he opens the window and it goes out there and then I don't remember where we end up somewhere in the snow and it's like zooms in and you see all the parts moving themselves in closer and closer and then you see his head out there in the snow yeah which is this has got to take a while because like his parts when they come together they don't have the capability to like travel through solid objects and so it's going to be a while and attract a lot of attention that these metal things are traveling across the earth to meet this giant (laughs) um but the film calls this place iceland uh, even though Iceland <laughs> is not covered in ice. Uh, more appropriately, this might be Greenland. But anyway, the implication is that the Iron Giant is reassembling himself. Uh, and then the film ends. And I love that this film didn't have a sequel. Because this is the perfect ending. You, I like that it leaves it with a question mark. We know the Iron Giant's coming back together. We don't know what his life looks like after this film. And that is left wide open. And it's it's great because I think especially as a kid's movie, you get the big you get the impact of him sacrificing himself, being willing to go die for to save other people. But then you don't end on that depressing depressing note of of this guy going and dying you get to see that oh look he's still alive there's it's possible that he'll be back again so i think another way this film could have ended in the tradition of children's films is we could have gone to like a few months later when the robots have repaired himself somehow and now the robot is just a part of this town like this town just has a giant robot who's best friends with this little kid but, like, I think that would be less satisfying yeah. for me than this ending, where everything is just left open to interpretation. It's kind of where you you can be excited because you know it's repairing itself, and that means it's not dead. But at the same time, you don't actually know what's happening. Yeah, after it reassembles itself, maybe it'll just go explore more planets. Who knows? Maybe it'll fly into another hurricane <laughs> and meet another little boy. Anywho. Uh, that's all the notes I had on this film. Um, do you have anything else? I I do not. Cool beans. Let's go on to games. Our first game is The Pitch Game, a game in which we put together two or more properties in the form It's This Meets This to describe this film. So, Mark, you were going to start us off. We are still doing the guessing thing. Uh, So, give me a description of what this film is in terms of other things. All right. Well, since I go first, that means I have more pressure because I have to do one that you won't steal. You can play it if you go first. You can play (laughs) it if you go second. Like, if you go second, maybe I've stolen one you've already done. 
I like to see if I go first. I like to do the ones that I think you will steal, but you'll probably steal them anyway because I have. So other I will later. tell you, I have a couple I don't think you'll steal, and I always decide the order of my things before we begin. Oh, I wrote down the order, but but I still anyway. <laughs> steal your thunder. Go ahead. So. Because it's a movie where a young male befriends a metallic alien that can change shapes and has lots of weapons, but must keep it a secret from his friends, family, and government agencies. And uh, a movie where a boy runs into the woods to search for something and ends up making a new friend with an injured creature of another species, teaches it how to communicate, and hides it from the locals, only to learn it has a potential as a weapon... After a misunderstanding leads to a falling out, the two reconcile to save the town. I want to say, the first one is Flight of the Navigator, and the second one all I have is E.T., but I don't know if that fits completely. So what is it? Uh, it was Transformers ah. meets How to Train Your Dragon. Wow, wildly <laughs> wrong on my part. Pretty great, though. All right. Um, so my <laughs> I think the first one. time I've ever written some where somebody didn't guess either one of them. Well, to be fair, Sarah well, might have gotten them. I'm going to start off with the, uh, a bit of a stretch because these are, I think, harder ones to get. This is based off of, I think, uh, the film that the kid was watching in his home. Oh, geez. <laughs> so I think you know what I'm going for. Here we go. A movie featuring a tall robot from outer space that has weaponry that can disintegrate U.S. military hardware, a son of a widowed mother befriending a creature from outer space, and a theme of choosing whether to live a peaceful life or a destructive one, meets a movie that begins with a character trying to tell people the truth of what they saw but being ignored because of a history of drinking, an incredibly tall character that is immune to gunfire, and the destruction of powerline equipment. So, I have two things in mind for the first one, and I'm trying to decide which one that I think it is. I will say Lost in Space for the first one, and but I was well, I was thinking Independence Day for the second one. <laughs> ah, all right. Well, I went for two B-movie sci-fi yeah. films, so you were closest with um, Lost in Space, or whatever you said. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I said. Uh, all right, uh, but I went for the day the Earth stood still. <laughs> that was the other meets, one that I was trying to figure out. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it meets the attack of the 50-foot woman. Uh, that one I would not have guessed. <laughs> but that was the other one I had in my head the whole time was that the day the Earth stood still. At least I was in the same... You were in the ballpark. <sighs> so close, but not close at all. Yep, absolutely. All right, what's your next one? Go ahead. Uh, because it's a movie where a child meets a creature from another world and adopts it as a pet, although the alien was intended as a weapon, the child's friendship and tutelage teach the creature that it can be what it chooses to be. In the end, the alien is willing to sacrifice itself to save its new friends and family. Meets a sentient weaponized robot gets electrocuted and meets a human friend who hides it from the town. The robot learns new traits from its human friends, but can be deadly when provoked. It hides from the government who want to blow it up. Uh, well, I have a pretty good guess on the second one because yep. I believe I used it. <laughs> the, again, the, the guess I have for the first one is, is this one E.T.? And does it meet short circuit? This one is not E.T. <laughs> Dang it! This one is... Lilo and Stitch God, meet Short course. Circuit. Yep, 
Stitch is a better parallel to this movie. Well, I'm going to leave the one you already used till last, uh, just because I feel like it's a stronger one than my next one. But here we go. Number two for me. A Brad Bird film featuring a virtually indestructible robot that crash lands and uses advanced weaponry to destroy military forces. And a young boy that has trouble concentrating in school and gets very hyperactive. Meets a property featuring an FBI agent going to a small town to investigate mysterious and unexplained occurrences with the agent always suspecting that a larger unknown force is behind it all. Well, the first one is The Incredibles. Correct. I <laughs> well, that's not correct. I was I want the second one to be Men in Black, but that's not an FBI agent, so it isn't. You can't think of a property where an FBI agent might be investigating aliens. No. Oh, I see. I keep thinking. Well, I guess there was a movie of that, wasn't there? Yeah, I used TV shows too. I did. Yeah, yes, I is. actually debated about using that one, and I didn't. So, so I went with The Incredibles meets The X Files. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right, what's your final uh, one? Go oh, ahead. Right there, I still have another one. <laughs> you sure do. That's why you went first. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because it's a movie where a mechanical man with futuristic weapons learns to choose his own path of peace despite a natural antagonistic nature. In the end, the metal man sacrifices himself to save an East Coast city from a nuclear weapon. Meets. A gentle alien creature with the mind of a child, capable of repairing itself but dangerous when angry, is voiced by Vin Diesel despite having a small vocabulary and sacrifices himself to save his friends. Alright, I'm pretty sure I got this one. <laughs> is this Avengers meets Guardians Hooray! of the Galaxy? <laughs> yeah! Alright! One, four, three! <laughs> I get the easy one for last. And of course, they're both from the same universe, too. So. Right, exactly. I was, I immediately thought of Iron Man or like the Metal mm -hmm. Man. I thought of the Metal Man that Thor fights in his first film. So eventually I got to Avengers, I think just from the nuclear bomb. Yeah. Anywho, my last one here. A film featuring a farm boy being raised to the sky. A barn getting lifted off the ground, and an incredibly large character easily catching up to humans in a chase and drastically changing their demeanor in certain situations. Meets. A film with a mechanical being designed for war getting damaged and electrocuted, leading to it losing all memory of its original purpose. It goes on to learn what they are from a naive human being taking its personality from the ideals of this person. <laughs> In the end, the army comes to destroy it and appears to succeed, only to reveal the robot is just fine. I sure hope you put all that in a quiz episode someday. <laughs> someday. We'll see. Well, we know the second one is Short Circuit. Correct. First one I am not so sure about. So, this may not be a film you saw, because it, while it did have a wide release, I don't think it was very popular. My touchstone for it is when the kid is running from the Iron Giant, the way the Iron Giant is able to catch up with him almost instantly reminded me a lot of this film. I Well, when you talked about it being a farm boy and a farmhouse getting lifted off the ground, I was thinking Superman, but then I couldn't think of a giant that runs around chasing people. <laughs> And then that made me think back to the Avengers because the Hulk and but I still couldn't think of a farm boy. Yeah, I don't so. I don't know if you're close, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna give you yeah. the answer. Uh, so the second one is Short Circuit, but the first one was Jack the Giant Slayer. Nope, never saw it. 
Anywho, yeah, it has some real brutal murder when giants come to Earth. Imagine that. They catch up to humans instantly in a chase scene. Anywho, let's go on to our second game, which is alternate taglines, a word or phrase you would see on the movie poster for this film that encapsulates the theme, though possibly misses the point. So I'm going to start us off here just because I happen to have a little bit more. So starting us off here, I like this first one. I think it should have been the real one. (laughs) It is the Iron Giant, the real Man of Steel. Yeah... I wanted to put something about Superman in one of these. <laughs> Although <clears throat> iron is not technically the same as steel, but hey, maybe it's space metal and not really iron <laughs> either, all right? Uh all right. I have uh I'm not incredibly proud of them, but I will read them anyway. The Iron Giant, one small step for man, one iron giant man for main. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> it just kept going. <laughs> it was that went off in a direction I wasn't suspecting, <laughs> which in that regard, it was great. But boy, the other All one right. is well much, done. Oh, well, I think the other one is much better, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. So my second one here, uh, the Iron Giant. You can be whatever you want, including junk. <laughs> well, I guess he did choose to be junk at one point, didn't he? Uh huh. Ah, the Iron Giant. Body of iron, brain of a child, heart of gold. Aw, that's pretty sweet. Mm, now I'm thinking of how I could work the Tin Man into Oh, him. geez. <laughs> but I didn't prepare that, so it's just not going to happen. Uh, I'll go on to my final one here before I get to it. Uh, this is a paraphrase from one of my favorite quotes from Harry Potter. Uh, so it is, The Iron Giant. It is not our military capabilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. That works for both, actually, surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. Although, okay, so here are the real ones if you want to hear them. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. Um, because give I do me the think best that yours might have been better, and at least the Heart of Gold one of mine I thought was pretty nice. So the real ones, some secrets are too huge to hide. <laughs> or, But he does hide very well, yeah, that's a true. lot. Or the Iron Giant, it came from outer space. Ha! I mean, that does go with my pitch games in that it was trying to be like a terrible B movie. Yeah, yeah. Anywho, let's go on to our final game, which is the TV Guide game. A description of the plot of the film you may see in a TV Guide or Netflix description. That is technically accurate, but misses the point. So, Mark, you're going to start us off here again. Can you tell us what is the plot of The Iron Giant? Prove he is ready for a pet. A young child takes on parenting a massive robotic alien. (laughs) I mean, that is true. Uh, So here's my first one. Uh, So The Iron Giant is... A mother's neglect for her son comes to a head when he starts a friendship with the largest threat to national security the U.S. has ever known. By the time she finds out what her son has been up to, her town is on the brink of nuclear destruction. Oh, and by the way, I did not Mm -hmm. do any puns or weird wordplay this time. Wow, congratulations. So if you didn't, that will be sadly lacking from this episode. (laughs) Well, you're welcome to bring him next time, but I sure did. All right. Well, here's another one. A government agent tries to woo a single mom by killing her son's best friend. <laughs> uh, 
God, that would have been a much different film if, the, <laughs> if Mansley was interested in the mom in any sort well, of way. Well, and you know, that, that was the idea I got when he was moving in with her at the at one point, but then that never really developed into anything in the movie. Which so. <laughs> I am glad for. All right. Um, so <clears throat> my final one here. An FBI agent abuses his station to gain information from a minor while pursuing an investigation. The agent walks in on the boy in the bathroom, interrogates him without a guardian present, drugs him, and threatens to remove him from his mother's care just to find something that could have been found using deductive reasoning. The agent ends up losing his job for completely unrelated reasons. So I know this is supposed to be a description of the movie, but sometimes I prefer uh-huh. to make it one sentence so that it sure. doesn't go on forever and ever like some hey, of those. Hey, you do you, I'm gonna do me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they all make sense. They do. They just take a long time. I mean, I've, I follow one thread. This is just the story of an FBI agent. That's the way I did them. Oh, boy. All right, well, here is another interpretation. Mm-hmm. A struggling artist becomes famous with a little help from a big extraterrestrial. <laughs> now, I know that's not a pun, but that is incredibly <laughs> close. That is that is near as near to a pun as you can get without technically it, being It was one. near, but not near enough. <laughs> well, it's near enough for me. <laughs> but yeah, you're welcome to bring puns next time. Let's go on to our reviews. Uh, We're going to start off, of course, with our infamous potato scale, telling our viewers what they can expect in an emotional state watching this film in terms of our relationship with potatoes. So, as always, I did not prepare this. So why don't you start us off telling about what the Iron Giant is in terms of potatoes. I like how every time we do this, you start it off with, as always... (laughs) Because at least then it's true every time. (laughs) Right. Like, I prep games. I will prep a 60-second synopsis. I have yet to prep my potatoes beforehand. Well, as you already know, because we talked about it a little bit, I tried to prepare this, but I have many options that I want to Mm -hmm. use, and I'm trying to limit them. So... I wanted to give this a black potato because of their talking about death and usage of weapons and all of that. I don't think that that really encompasses the overall of the movie, though, because that's a point that's brought up, but it's not really focused on as much as the choosing who you choose to be (laughs) kind of thing so uh i think i might leave that off but i just wanted to explain why that was in my mind definitely it's obvious that we both enjoyed this movie so i i think i will give this a five guys fries uh but also we talked about how there are elements for kids and also for adults which we have the one about layers for different audiences so a five guys fries casserole (laughs) gross <laughs> and I guess another one I had considered was a gold potato, but yeah. So I don't know if black potatoes. I'm glad you didn't use it because I don't. While they did talk about death, I don't see it as a troubling issue. Like I thought you were gonna say because of Mansley's well, unethical yeah, there was practices <laughs> in the film. 
Like, that's really not great. So I debate it with the black potato. But yeah, gold potato, definitely. Because when the Iron Giant flies up into the sky to sacrifice him, himself, exploding himself to pieces because of a nuclear missile so that his best friend doesn't get hurt, like, oh boy, oh boy, that gives me the vapors. Um, <laughs> that is, it is such an emotional moment. Uh, and I, I really, really love that. I don't know if I can go to the extent of a Five Guys film. Uh, I think Mansley brings the film down for me just a bit from a Five Guys. So like Five Guys, I want to give to a perfect film or a film that is what it intends to be perfectly. And that while this is close, I don't think that it is quite there. It misses the mark ever so slightly. I will, however, give it a steak and shake fries. And like I said, there were several I was debating, and that was that was the one trying to choose between those two. I, I don't know if Mansley... His character is erratic, but like what you said, I don't... That may have been how they intended it to happen in the film, because you kind of have to see him going crazy and launching the missile at the end, despite everything that's happened and knowing that the thing should be safe <laughs> he decides to try to kill it anyway so maybe you're supposed to be seeing him go crazy but i understand your your side of it but i'm just saying i i don't think it bothers me as much as it did you so i get that he is an erratic character but he is also an fbi agent even in 1957 you don't get to be an fbi agent without some form of deductive reasoning some like some level of professionalism uh and i think he abandons that by the end of the film not necessarily that his character shifts from one thing to another uh but like he does call a nuclear strike on himself uh without realizing it which is wild and i don't feel like his shift it wasn't justified anywhere in the film like if he had a traumatic experience in some way and then was acting erratically that makes far more sense to me uh whereas he doesn't have that moment that sends him off the edge if that makes sense unless you count his car getting chomped <laughs> yeah but he wasn't there for that <laughs> anywho uh let's go on to our rewatchability scale a scale from zero to ten should we what you made a face oh, well, you made well, a this face. is one i did not prepare <laughs> okay Scale from 0 to 10, telling our audience should they go back and watch this film. So, I had a number in my mind when I came into this podcast, and talking about this film with you, the number has gone up a bit. Because when I finished this film, after watching it, now granted, I don't watch it all the way through, uh, because I like to take notes on like specific plot points so I can revisit them, uh, and when I'm preparing games, it helps to have notes describing the plot so I don't have to watch the film again. I can just read all my notes and I kind of get the whole plot synopsis. In doing that, I have to stop and start fairly often in the beginning to do all the exposition and whatnot. So I, the way that I watch it, the film kind of lost a little bit of momentum for me. It picked it up in the end. The end was great. The number I had in my mind coming in was I just felt kind of okay about the film when i finished it so better better than middle of the range i was thinking about a seven but talking about it with you i realized that like there are some really great things in this film really subtle things that are done very well the end is wonderful i like the way this film starts where it doesn't describe 
who where the Iron Giant comes from. I like that how it ends and that it doesn't describe where the Iron Giant is going. Uh, and so I think I'm going to move it up from a 7 to probably an 8.9. Not wow. quite the level of a 9, but That's a high jump. up there. Yeah, like maybe... You know what? I'm going to give it an 8.8. I was expecting you to say like seven and a half or eight at the highest after. Well, and I I guess I didn't really see. Obviously, I gave it five guys fries. So I didn't have as many problems with Mansley as you did. And I always look at this number, if we call it rewatchability, as how likely am I to recommend it to someone else to watch it if they have not seen it, or if they have seen it, would I recommend that they see it again? And so based on those numbers, it would be a very high number. <laughs> and since I, uh, I, you know, had to watch it for this and actually watched through the entire movie twice, I there are some movies that you watch through once and you watching it again is like, oh, I have to do it again just to get all my notes settled and whatever. And then this one was just kind of like, okay, I'll watch it again. So I don't, you know, I feel like it's something that you could watch multiple times. Like if you have a kid who is in love with it and wants to watch it 50 times a day, that might get (laughs) a little tiring, but you could still enjoy it. Yet, even though it has five guys, it may not be the perfect movie, so I probably wouldn't give it all the way at the top of the range. So, I will end up at a nine for this one, which is close to yours. Yeah, alright, so that wraps up our reviews. Um, so we move on to our final segment, but not before I tell you guys where you can find us online if you choose to do so. I'm filling in for Sarah, and I don't have these things written down, so I might get a few things wrong. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so you can find us online at retrograding.fireside.fm. You can read all the episode descriptions there, and I've started putting the scores, uh, the cumulative scores, averaged out. Uh, on the episode titles on that page as well. And so if you just want to breeze through and see what together we gave a film, uh, you can find that there. Uh, if you want to contact us on Facebook, uh, we are on Retrograding Podcast. If you want to contact each other on Facebook, it's Retrograding Party Line. We'll see if we do more stuff with that. I keep trying to push Sarah, but she's got a lot going on right now. Our music is done by Dominique Barnes, who continues to be great. Um, and I think that's, I think that's everything. Did I miss anything? I think that was all of it. Cool. Alrighty. So this moves us on to our final segment, which is, guys, I learned something today. So, guys, I learned something today. Watching this film, something became immediately obvious to me. And it's something I want our listeners to think about and mull over in the coming month until we prep our next episode. And it's simply, a man should never call a nuclear strike on himself. That's just not going to go well. Uh, That's going to close out this episode of Retrograding. We will catch you guys next time. (laughs) 